mind to John 3:16 and 17, uh, which was just read for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And that's clearly one of, if not the most well-known and certainly important verses of the Bible, John 3.16. And it should always be remembered within the context of John 3.17. We often memorize John 3.16 and forget John 3.17, that God sent His Son into our world in order to save those in the world. And that verse, we are we turn to it because it sums up for us really the love of God. This is the love of God. This verse summarizes God's gospel plan. It tells us very simply that God acted out of love. It was God's love that compelled Him in His action. His love was directed at the whole world, the verse tells us, not just at the nation of Israel, not just people of Jewish descent, um, not just one tribe of Abraham, but it says here that God's love compelled Him to act and His action all along was for the whole world. And that God's act of love was the giving of His Son. That was what God's choice was in acting out of His love, is that He would give His only Son. And that giving took a long time. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when when humanity rebelled against God and went our own way and sinned and fell from our grace with God, God's act was immediately to put in place a plan for a seed of Eve for a son of Eve to come and rescue humanity from our enemy. And that offspring would crush Satan. But that manifestation or that appearing of that son of God took over 4,000 years. And so when we read here that God sent His only begotten son or He gave His only begotten son, that was a giving of 4,000 years on God's part. And then as we continue to read, the purpose of that son is so that the world might be saved. And salvation is made available to all that some might accept it. And that world saving is also taking a long time. That world saving that the Son is doing has taken 2,000 years so far. And still going. And God is very patient in His giving of His Son and very patient in the saving of the world. Romans 2.4 tells us that God is patient so that more of the world might be saved in this plan of His. And so today at the fourth Sunday of Advent, I'd like us to look closely at this love of God that this verse encapsulates so well. This love of God that compels Him to act in this way. And it's important that we grow in our understanding of God's love. It's important as His children that that we let the truth of God's love grasp us. Because the notion of God's love and the meaning of it perhaps is one of the most um, misused by the wider world. I mean, this idea that God is love has been tragically misunderstood by most of the world. And it's often misunderstood by Christians as well. So this morning, I think it's really important that we understand what do we really mean when we say that God acted out of love, that God is love. And so to understand the love of God as it's expressed in John 3.16, that He gave His Son to the world, I want to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. And in this case, in fact, to allow John to interpret John. Because we can go from the Gospel of John to 1 John. 
And we can ask, what is God's love? And what does it mean that His love was expressed by the giving of His Son? And how is God's love unique from our love? And, and what difference does it make anyway? Why this emphasis on love? And so if you turn with me from the Gospel of John to the letter of 1 John, and we'll allow the same disciple John, now much older, as he's writing his letter, and certainly grown in his faith, to unpack for us exactly what this love is. Well, not exactly. That's the wrong phrase. We will never unpack exactly what the love of God is. But we'll unpack a tiny little bit more of what the love of God is. That John simply expressed in John 3.16, he expands on in 1 John 4.7 and following. And I'm going to read through to verse 21, even though this morning we're only going to look at the first half of that text in any sort of detail at all. I really want the whole paragraph of 4 to 21 uh, to be heard and for our hearts to lay hold of it as truth today and just consider God's love in the form of Jesus and our response. Here's what the Apostle John writes. Beloved, or dear friends, let us love one another, for God, love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation It's a fancy word. It means the replacement sacrifice of our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected or completed in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. And by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That's the reading of God's Word. And so as we... Look at this whole text, this whole paragraph that John writes here, clearly focused on the love of God. We see that he's expressed again what he wrote earlier in his gospel, that, that love comes from God. And that this love, love comes most specifically in the form of his son Jesus. And even more specifically, that that love of God and Jesus is that He should die as a replacement or a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. And John says that love not only comes from God, but that God is love. Twice in verse 8 he says it, and then again in verse 16. God is love. And John elaborates on the implications of God's love. That it's a love that is present in those that are God's children. People who are believers in Jesus have this love. And it should appear in our love for others. 
And he says a lot more from that, but that's all we're going to be able to get at today and try and grow in our knowledge of God's love and, and answer some of those questions we asked earlier. What is God's love? What does it mean that his love was expressed in the giving of his son? How is God's love unique from our love? And what difference does it make in our lives anyway? And to start out with, in, in order to set our minds on the right path and understanding God's love, there's one thought that has to be made as the first step before we even get going on this journey. And it's this first step where I think a lot of people generally go wrong and then they set out towards a conclusion about God's love that is completely misplaced or there's error in it because they took the wrong step from the very beginning. And this first step or this first thought is this. Whatever God's love is, as we seek to discover it, we can be sure that it is something different and very much greater in every way and in unknown ways than what our human love is. You understand what I'm saying? So when we take this first step in discovering what God's love is, we have to understand that whatever we're seeking, because it's God's love, it's going to be very much different and greater in every way than what we as humans naturally understand love to be. And when I say that, you might think it's obvious now in retrospect. Well, of course it's going to be it, but it is really, I think, the most common mistake, right? Which is strange because if I was to talk about God's strength, and I was to ask you, if we were going to consider God's strength, would we not consider that God is stronger than our human strength? And in every way, in even unimaginable ways, God is more powerful than humans. And we would say, well, of course, we're talking about God. Or if I was to talk about God's wisdom, and I would say, okay, we're going to talk about God's wisdom and, and how his wisdom is superior in every way to human wisdom, and, it's, and he's wise and has knowledge in areas and categories that we can't even fathom, then you would say, well, of course, because it's God we're talking about. He's stronger, he's more powerful, he's more wise. But it's funny, because when we talk about this text, and we talk about love specifically, it seems that when we talk about the love of God, we immediately start to think like God loves like we love. And we forget that God's love is going to be very much different than our human concept of love. That God's love is going to be deeper and broader and wider and more mysterious in so many ways. And yet, some would still try to reduce God's love down to something that we can accomplish on our own. And in fact, that our love would somehow qualify us to be known by God. And, and to be fair, in this text, I can see where this confusion comes from in the world at, at large and, and even within some Christians. Because it sets in very quickly where, and where that confusion leads. Because John is very practically speaking about the love of people towards people in this text, but specifically Christians towards Christians. And in verse 7, he starts out and says, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And then he goes on to say, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And we immediately get into tricky territory here with the world, don't we? Especially when you combine it with that phrase that John uses twice here, that God is love. How many people have friends or how many people have heard that, well, all we need is love. If I'm loving, then God loves me. In fact, not only God is love, but it has been twisted to the point where love is God. That if we're just loving, then we have God. Or love is our God. Right? John Lennon just said, all we need is love. Right? And the world believes that if they're just loving people, then they somehow are blessed or are seen as acceptable by God. But is that really what John is talking about here. Is that what this text says? That our human love 
is sufficient to be known by God. That if we just love, then we have God. And is the love that John is talking about here just sort of the kind of warm and fuzzy, well-wishing, romanticized thoughts of peace and goodwill for all people that John Lennon was talking about? Or is this John talking about a different kind of love, something different? God's love is not like our love. And so our first step has to be realizing that. And the way that John speaks of God's love through this paragraph casts light for us or sets us and points us in a direction on what some of those differences are. And let's look at some of them. The first one is, is that God's love can only be properly understood in light of God's righteousness or purity, which is to say, God's wrath. God is love, it says in verse 8. And the common error here is then to presume that God can't be anything else, right? That God is love, end of story, I don't have to read anything else in the Bible. I don't need to know anything else about Christianity because God is love. John said it, I read it, I'm done. And I like that because clearly God can't be angry at me, God can't be wrathful at me, there can't be a hell because God is love. And so because I've read that God is love, that's all He can be. And God can be nothing else. And that's where the error begins. And we want Him to be that kind of a God and only have our kind of love where it's just some sort of warm, fuzzy, well-wishing, romanticized love that never has to deal with the reality of sin or with justice or with purity or with righteousness. But God's love is not limited to just sort of, you know, Oscar speech, peace for the world kind of love. God's love has to be far more serious than that. But if we just read a little bit farther, if we don't stop reading in verses 7 and 8, and actually a little hint here, most of the conflicts in Scripture that you run into can be solved by one simple habit. Just keep reading. Scripture sorts itself out if you just keep reading. And this is another example, because we get to the end of verse 8 where God is love, but then you have to read verse 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested or delivered or displayed or shown in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is a big fancy word, but it means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John says God has shown us what his love is. It's Jesus entering into the sin of our world in order that we can have life through him. This is love. Not that we have loved, but that God loved us first and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. And so the same people who love the narrative of verses 7 and 8, that God is love, and if we just have love, then we also have God. They love that narrative. They are also the same people who really hate the narrative of verses 9 and 10. Because verse 9 and 10 tells us that even though God is love, He's something more than love. He's also purity and righteousness and justice and a sacrifice must be required because of sin. So how do you reconcile 7 and 8 with 9 and 10 if your version of God's love is just sort of that Oscar speech, warm, fuzzy, peace on earth, goodwill to all men, and we're done? If that was the love of God. If that was the, the love that John was talking about, then what's the need for Jesus? What's the need for the cross? 
So clearly, God's love has to go deeper than the love that we think of in our natural self. We can't understand God's love without also understanding His wrath at us in our sin. The wrath or the anger of God is not a spiteful, uncontrolled anger. It's not a tantrum thrown by someone who's not getting their own way. The wrath of God properly understood in Scripture is the pure and holy and justified response to the evil of the world perpetrated by mankind and the defiant, continuous rejection of God as the rightful source of our purpose and being. God is love. But that love can only be understood properly in the context of His wrath at sin. Isaiah, just to go through some quick Scriptures for you so you see I'm not just making this up. Isaiah 26:21. See, the Lord is coming out of His dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed upon her. She will conceal her slain no longer. Or Psalm 7, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Romans 1.18 explains it for us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're back again in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live, turn back, Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Or Romans 5.10 echoes that sentiment of God in the Old Testament. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So make no mistake, there is a wrath of God that is poured out on us because of our sin and our rebellion, but it's not God's desire that we should die, but rather that we would be saved. And so that is why John can say that the love of God is shown in the giving of His Son. That while we were still enemies, we could be reconciled to God. And part of our problem, especially as Christians, and, and certainly in the world, is in understanding God's love, is that we don't understand His anger at sin because sin doesn't anger us. It's certainly true for the world out there, Right? If filth and deception and selfishness and greed don't upset us, then we wonder why would it stir up God? Our own impurity desensitizes us to sin and how unlovable and how estranged it makes us from God. And so God's love is not like human love where we set our affections on someone because we found something lovable in them or that has attracted us to them or because you know we gave birth to them so we have to love them, Right? Our human affection, our love is, is drawn out by finding something lovable in somebody. By finding something that attracts us to somebody. But God's love is not human love. It doesn't require that we be attractive. That there is something in us that draws God to us. In fact, just the opposite. God's love exists in equal measure with His wrath and justice toward, toward our sin. So God's love exists even though we are infinitely unlovable to Him in our natural state. And this is a fundamentally humbling truth that should grasp us. It's not even so much that, that we need to grasp that truth, we need that truth to grasp us. That we make no effort on our own to seek God, nor to love God. Prior to God's love, we are wholly unlovable. 
There is nothing redeeming in us in God's eyes until He loves us. His love must take action. Romans 5.10 said, while we were enemies, we were reconciled. God's love must take the initiative to cross the distance between God and His purity and holiness and us in our rebellion and sin who are objects of His wrath who don't seek Him. We're estranged from God and under His wrath. On our part, we are estranged because of our sin and rebellion. And on God's part, He is estranged from us because of His holiness and purity and justice. And so the fundamental question for us as people is how is it possible for God to love sinners and yet still not compromise His holiness? How can God exercise His justice without diminishing His love? And the answer is there. John is pointing us towards it. It's propitiation. It's that fancy Christian word, propitiation. Specifically, Jesus' propitiation. It's the atoning sacrifice. It is the assuming of God's wrath on another object other than us. A substitute being accepted in order to satisfy justice. And that's the answer, is Jesus coming to us first as a helpless baby and then to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and then to grow into manhood and then to suffer among us and because of us and then to die as our sacrifice because we needed to be rescued. In other words, the answer to how God can show love to sinners and yet not compromise His purity and His justice is the cross. It's the cross where perfect justice of God is satisfied by the perfect love of God. His righteousness has to be satisfied, but His love compels Him to be the self-sacrifice through His own Son. Jesus didn't die for good people. Jesus died for bad people. And we're all bad people. And so the love of God first expresses itself at the cost of His very own Son dying on the cross. Not because of us, but because of God. Because He loved us first. His love is totally different than ours. It takes the initiative, even when it finds nothing lovable in us. And so we don't understand the magnitude or the depths of God's love until we really understand that God isn't only love, He's also righteousness, and that results in wrath at sin. But secondly, God's love is only understood in light of eternity. Christmas, we come to Christmas and we got the manger and This is the time when Jesus comes, but we have to remember that Christmas is not the beginning of Jesus. It's important to remember that for many reasons, but also because of the explanation of God's love, because God's love is only understood in the light of the eternity. As we've been exploring, we see here something about God's nature that makes love a necessary part of it. And it doesn't require us. That is to say, God's perfect love was already there before anything else was, right? Before there were angels, before there were fish in the sea, before He made the animals of the land, before He made mankind, before anything, apart from God, God, for God to love, God's love was present and perfect. God's love was present without anything else there. And so again, letting John interpret John in this area of God's love, we can actually go back to the Gospel of John and we can go to chapter 17 and we can see in verse 24 as Jesus prays why this love of God is important and understood only in light of eternity. 
In John 17, 24, Jesus is praying and He says, Father, I want those You have given Me to be with Me where I am and to see My glory, the glory You have given Me because You loved Me before the creation of the world. So if you want to understand God's love, you have to understand that God is love and God's love was perfect and self-contained and self-sufficient before anything else. Before world, before people, before angels, before anything, God's love was eternal and perfect before anything else came along. Because God loves Himself in His Son. From eternity past, there's been a relationship of love from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. And that love also manifests itself in the Holy Spirit. And the love of the Father to the Son with the Holy Spirit is a fundamental aspect of the triunity of God or what we call the Trinity of God. That God's love is beyond our human comprehension in the fact that it is seen in light of eternity. And John delves deeper into this going back to 1 John 4. John continues into this and notice how John draws a direct equation of God's abiding in us and His love perfected or made complete in us and His Holy Spirit which He gave us. He says no one in verse 12 has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. God's Spirit is God, is God's love. God is in us, His love is in us, and His Spirit is given us by God. John draws a thread through each of those statements tying them together. And this is important for us to understand again because we have to realize that the love that John is speaking about, that he is expecting to be in believers because he's talking to Christians here. And so when he says love one another and those who love know God, he's not talking about human love. He's not talking about natural love. He's talking about the love of God. The love of God that can only be understood under the context of the wrath of God and the propitiational sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of His Son. And can, it's the love of God that is given us by His Spirit. This eternal love that was there and perfect since before there was anything to love, God had this love to give and gives it to us by His Spirit. So there's a love here that John is talking about that is not just natural human love. That we can just read that verse and say, well, if I love my kids and I love my family and I throw some money in the Salvation Army kettle at at Christmas time, I'm a loving person and God must accept me. That's not the love John's talking about. He's talking about God's love. God's love that demanded sacrifice. God's love that was eternal before we even existed. God's love that was completely self-sufficient within Himself and existed for eternity before us, showing that God to take the, could then take the initiative to love us first apart from our own merits. And so nobody loves God genuinely today except that God first took action in our life. And when we think of discovering the love of God as Christians, when we think, as I talked about in the discipleship series, of treasuring Christ and cherishing Christ and loving Him, we may at first, in our, as Christians, think that we were responsible for repenting. And we were. And we needed to exercise faith. And we do. And that we had to respond to the claims of the Gospel. As we did. But as you go along the path of the Christian walk a little bit, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, Christians, you know what I'm talking about, and you look back, you realize all along that it has been God that took the initiative in your life to draw you to Him. 
that even though you had to repent and you had to respond to the claims of the gospel and you needed to exercise faith, it was about God working in your life far more than it was any action that you took on your own life. He intersected our lives. He brought His message to us. He showed us our need. He orchestrated the circumstances of our life to bring us in contact with the Gospel. And prior to all of that, of course, He showed love to the world to provide the promise and His own Son. C.S. Lewis writes often of feeling pursued by God in his own life, especially in his book, Surprised by Joy. He talks about this a lot. And there's a great quote in there which reads from C.S. Lewis, you must picture me alone in that room at Magdalen, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of Him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. And C.S. Lewis goes on to talk about how, like a hunter after a deer, he felt constantly pursued by God that he could not escape. He said you have to be a very careful atheist if you want to protect your faith because there are traps everywhere. Can human love be like God's eternal, pre-existent, and self-sufficient love, His pursuing love. No, our natural love is not at all like the love that God intends for us. The love John speaks of when he says God is love, or anyone who loves knows God, is not the shallow, wavering, natural love of humanity which really only loves things that it finds lovable or that attracts them in some way. The love God intends for us and that John speaks of here as a required part of Christian living is something else entirely. Thirdly, God's love can only be understood in the light of Jesus. Very quickly, let's look back at John 17 and Jesus' prayer again to the Father and try and understand a little bit more about this love. In John 17, this is the Gospel of John now, 17.26, Jesus in His prayer says, I made known to them Your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I'll say that again. That the love with which you, Father God, have loved me may be in them and I in them. So now we go back to 1 John 4. Is the love that is in Christians just the natural human love? Is that the love that's supposed to be in us? Jesus prays that the love that God has for Jesus would be in us. That should blow you away. The love that John is talking about is this love that God the Father has for God the Son that has been since eternity, pre-existent, self-sufficient, complete and perfect. Jesus prays, I want my disciples to have that love. And John says, If you have that love, then you know God and God knows you. And so when we come to know God as believers, we love Jesus like God loves Jesus. And we don't love Jesus by ourselves out of our own human love. He's not just this guy we heard about and he sounds pretty cool and attractive. And so sure, I'll be a fan. He sounds like a nice guy. 
That's not the love that Christians have for Jesus, but rather God reaches in by His Spirit and gives us this supernatural love of God that we've been talking about in us as believers. And that love is what we must love Jesus with and love others with. This is beyond human understanding. We, we couldn't make this up. If you were trying to make up a faith, you couldn't make this up. That God would give us His love for us to love His Son who He sent to die on our behalf when we were completely unlovable and enemies of Him. This is God's Gospel plan. This is the love that we celebrate when Jesus comes. As Christians, we receive the joy of loving Jesus and others with the capacity or the infinite resource of God's own love in us. And so what does this mean for us as Christians then? As John has been writing here, you'll notice that he's been both unpacking this profound truth about the replacement sacrifice of Jesus and the pre-existent love of God and His divine ability by grace to place His love on sinful humans because of His justice and love being perfected and satisfied on the cross and the indwelling nature of God by His Spirit and the supernatural love of God that is there for in us and all of these amazing profound truths. And at the same time, John is giving us one simple command, simple and repeatedly, so you must love one another. The result of this amazing, profound truth is simply that you should then love. Anybody get one of their kids for Christmas? Or maybe you got this when you were for Christmas as a kid. You got one of those Fisher Price, uh, you got one of those Fisher Price uh, doctor kits. I think I got a picture of one here. Ring a bell. Did anybody get one of these? You know, and you unpack it and it's got all the stuff in there. Uh, you got the stethoscope and you got the band-aid and the cask and all that stuff like that. You know, and you remember, uh, if, if your kids had this, you remember getting that needle like a hundred times, right? Like places all over that needle. It's a good thing the needles at the doctor don't feel like that thing, right? Or the blood pressure cuff, you know, they check your blood pressure like five times a day, make sure you're still alive. Or they're taking your pulse with that thing and they're checking for a pulse and, 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 and they check for pulses in places. I don't even think you can find a pulse, but, you know, they nod sagely like you're healthy. But I use this illustration just to, to point out that the pulse of God's church, right? When, when God takes the pulse of our church, when, when God reaches down and puts his hand on Lakeside, one of the pulses that he checks is the pulse of love. And if he reaches down to find the pulse on his creation and he finds that pulse faint or faltering or even gone, that pulse of love, then what does that tell us about the vibrancy of our Christian life? John says you have this supernatural love as Christians. And as you learn to realize and learn to understand how amazing God's love is and this supernatural love that you have, then you should be expressing that love to each other. So the question for us here as we approach Christmas is when the world looks at the church, do they see a church that can only be explained by the supernatural love of God? Or do they just see a church that can be explained by natural love? Because we like our friends and we like our family just like sinners do, right? Jesus said, just like the Pharisees do. They love people who love them. But when God takes the pulse of our church, does He find a church that can only be explained 
by supernatural love. You may be the only person in your classroom, or you may be the only person at your work. You may even be the only person in your family that carries within them this supernatural love of God. And so where will the people in your classroom or at your work or in your family experience the supernatural love of God except you show it to them? Remember what John said there? I can remember the verse. I can't remember the verse. But he said, no one has seen God. Why would he, why would he throw that in there? seems like a complete non sequitur, right? Nobody has seen God. But if you have love, you have God. And the Spirit of God is in you. Okay, it's not a non sequitur, right? <laughs> John, John wasn't delirious when he wrote that. No one has seen God, except that they might see God in the love that he's given you. And so, as a church, if there's someone you know who needs to hear the words of God's love, you need to say them, right? This week, you could make a card, or you could find that person, and you could talk to them. You could find somebody in our church, maybe, that needs to hear from the love of God. Think about your own family. Some people may live with you that have never experienced the love of God the way that you can share it with them because you have this supernatural love inside you. There are people in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our community who need to know God's love. So this week, pick somebody to visit. You can call them. You can email them. I'll even let you Facebook message them. But do something this week to just tune in to that supernatural love that God has given you. A love that is in spite of our sin, that sacrificed for our sin, that satisfied the justice that was required by self-sacrifice through His Son, that was pre-existent and perfect in the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit before anything was available to be loved. Love was perfect. And that love is in you as a believer. So find someone this week and go. And show that love. Reach out with that love. That's the love that Jesus brought to us. That's the gift that God gave us in His Son. Let's pray.